Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. I said good friend again. I'm just going with it. We're, we're good friends now, okay? I want to point uh, out that this is uh, episode 199 of the Unnamed Automotive Podcast, Sammy. Ooh. And uh, for the people who have listened to all 199 episodes of our podcast, they would know that at this point in the podcast, I tell Ben to plug all of the recent publications he's uh, written for. Go for it, Ben. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Haggerty, at Inside Line, and at Driving Line. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca as well as Nouveau Magazine. And I've got a couple of other new publications like EV Pulse and TechSpot. Ben, this week we're going to be talking about uh, four cars. This is a loaded, this is a car heavy week this week. Are they all cars though, Sammy? Uh, I have two sedans. What do and you have? I have a hatchback and a crossover. Okay. So I'll start off because um, I think my cars are a little bit more uh, newer than yours. Wow. Uh, This is the – I'm going to talk about the 2021 Hyundai Elantra. And the Elantra is a very important vehicle to talk about because compact cars – Compact cars cover a lot of ground. There's a lot of people who buy a compact uh, a compact vehicle. They range from like new grads to retirees, um, and you know what? Honestly, everything in between. And the Elantra is going through a brand new generation. And more than that, this is uh, uh, it's going to be it's going to have a lot of variations. There's going to be a conventional gas-powered version of it. There's going to be a hybrid version of it. There's going to be a very hot hatch, like um, just without the hatch. N version of it, and then there's going to be a lukewarm hatch version of it, the N-line version of it. And so I've driven... But I've no driven hatches, only, right? Just to be no clear, hatches. no hatches. Yeah, so when you say yet, hatch, it's meaningless. <laughs> so what... You, I mean, sport compact, I guess I should say. Okay, yeah. So hot hot compact and lukewarm compact. Do you just compact. like saying hot? hot and then hot, you need hot. the alliteration <laughs> of hatch at the end to make it yeah, feel okay? So can we say spicy sedan? No, no, no one says that. And then savory sedan. Savory sedan. Oh, man. (laughs) So uh, I drove the normal version of the the vehicle, the one that's probably going to be sold the – or the the one you'll see the most common on the road. And I have to say this is a very strong showing by uh, Hyundai. It feels like they are – they really have something uh, to tackle this segment uh, better than ever before. And I think that's important because it's not like the Elantra has been – awful in the past i feel like they've every generation they've gotten so close to getting it right and then they miss out on one or two very important things like the last generation model drove very well was priced very well and had good good um uh good space however i found it to be a little cheap looking on the inside lots of hard plastics um and it wasn't exactly the most attractive looking vehicle this new model, I won't go as far as to say that it's really pretty looking. I think it looks very striking. It's bold. It looks different. Almost alien on the road. Almost uh, alien. <laughs> I th- yeah, I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, it takes that like grill that we saw on the, on the venue and kind of expands it across the front end of the vehicle. And then the side profile, you see a little bit kind of like uh, lots of very sharp angles and creases, very much like a Prius or a, or a Civic. But that treatment is applied throughout the rest of the, the, the all other angles of the vehicle as well. So it looks very uh, abstract, very different than other Elantras have in the past, and almost any other vehicle in its segment. It is it is probably the most Honda looking Hyundai that has been created in the last ten years. 
Which is funny because as of when I test drove this, I hadn't yet seen the new Civic. And now the Civic showed up, and I don't know if I really like the look of the new Civic. It looks a little bit um, blander in comparison to the last generation one. So well, I think that they had to walk back the Civic because they got so much flack about how busy the design was. And yeah. I, I can understand that. So I don't know how much style is important to the Civic buyers, uh, whether they really cared that it was kind of an extroverted car before and whether they'll care that it's gone back to kind of being humdrum. But I, I agree with you. The Elantra really... It, you look at the Elantra and you notice it more than you would the, the upcoming Civic. And I think that's important. Um, I think Hyundai went all out with this design. I really love that about it, actually, because there are elements of the Civic design when it came out that you would look at it and be like, OK, I'm starting to get this design language, but they didn't quite they didn't quite finish it all over. Like the hatch, the, the, the sorry, the, <laughs> the rear three-quarter viewpoint doesn't have as many, uh, isn't as busy as the other angles. And I think Hyundai just said, oh yeah, we're going all in. This is how wild our car is going to look. Um, and they matched that with a very um, impressive and very high-tech interior with uh, screens aplenty, which is, uh, which is important. There's only one hiccup that I didn't like with the interior, and it has like a brace, like a handle between the front passenger and basically the center console. And it's really, uh, I think it, it like separates the passenger too much from the center console where there's some controls that they'd want to use. Yeah, I, it's, you know, this is a totally different car, but remember the Chevrolet, the Chevrolet Corvette that has the yeah. giant, one of the things that you and I noticed when we were driving it is just how isolating the console in that car was because of how it cut you off from the passenger. So I never really understood why you have that in a regular car um you can get away with it in something like a corvette or even a high-end luxury car there's a lot to have kind of that curved cowl on the center console and that's been going on for decades but why put it in an elantra i don't know it is very i and and beyond that like uh, some of the controls seem like also centered to, or or pointed towards the driver. So this brace and that element of the of the control scheme makes it seem like they just want the front passenger to leave the driver alone completely, <laughs> right? <laughs> so anyways, I do want to continue. The um the vehicle has a pretty big touchscreen. It has a let me try to let me get the the the, the numbers right. 10.25 inch touchscreen. That is very big. Um, it's, it's, it's very big. It's customizable. It's got a couple of different themes, including one that I thought was pretty, uh, unique. A bunch of like, all the icons had these like, uh, tech, like Tron like cubes happening behind them. Wait, what? Um, oh, yeah. you sent me a video of this. Yeah. I thought and that, then... <laughs> I thought that that was in the regular Elantra. No. Yeah. This is the Elantra. This is the fully loaded version. It's like the, uh, the limited or the yeah the limited I believe I mean called. it was kind of cool in like a retro way like you look at yeah. that and you'd be like you, so a voice in your head yells Mortal Kombat but like <laughs> is that really is that really what most buyers are looking for or just me <laughs> uh, well I love the I love that the that design element continued into the gauge cluster which is also a completely digital gauge cluster in this fully loaded model um, and you can also get this cube themed gauge cluster and I did put that on Instagram and somebody uh, a couple of people messaged me and was like whoa, th what is this? And I'm, I'm like, it's an Elantra. And they go, what? Um, I yeah, think it's I had really a, not, a not something you would expect like in any car. <laughs> I had a listener explain to me that this is not something that they would have expected in something like an Elantra. So I think that's a good thing. It's pretty cool. Uh, I will 
add one more highlight to the to, to bring to your attention in the interior, which is to the left of the gauge cluster is a blank panel, a black panel with a circle on it. Um, and this is specific for um, a phone mount, a, a suction phone mount. That's where you, you will stick your um, your phone to, which is interesting because the car obviously has um, Android Auto and Apple CarPlay support. It has a wireless phone charger and wireless capability of those features are coming down the line. So it, it, it's interesting that they still see the need for this um, feature. I don't think it's in the right place, but I understand that like workers in the gig economy, like Ubers or, or DoorDash drivers or something like that, you know, they have to stick their phone somewhere. Yeah, and that's exactly that, why that's there. But I agree with you. It's not the best place. I also want to highlight the uh, the steering wheel design. I know I'm talking a lot about design in this Elantra, and we have a lot of cars to get through today. But the steering wheel design, usually we're, we're used to um, spokes to be placed in the, like, uh, three and nine position. But this also has two more... Um, horizontal spokes below the three and nine, which makes it feel like you should be holding your steering wheel like at at four and seven. Like it's so weird. Uh, but you shouldn't okay. be doing that, right, Ben? I mean, hold you. I'm not one of those people who's <laughs> like no. But you know, there are some people who are. I I don't know how to use the word zealots, but like they're obsessive about hand placement on a steering wheel, right? I'm actually more conscious of, about it when I'm on the track. I want to keep my hands uh, near that uh, nine and three position as much as possible when I'm on the track. But uh, when I'm just tootling around town, tootle uh, tootle, I don't feel it that. So uh, we should continue talking about this vehicle. Under the hood is a two-liter four-cylinder engine. It makes uh, a pretty modest amount of horsepower: uh, 147 horsepower and 132 pound-feet of torque. There is a six-speed manual, uh, at least in uh, in the information that I was given for the very base model of the vehicle, but everyone else gets a CVT, which now uses a chain belt. Um, it's, a loud, it's a loud motor, it's a loud CVT, and when you, when you put your foot down, you want to make a pass, you will hear it, and the car sounds grumpy. Grumpy. So, yeah, it just does not feel like it wants to be participating in this activity right now. Fair enough. I often feel that way. <laughs> so I, 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 agree, I anticipate that the Sporter N-Line as well, that's N is in Nancy. N line is coming, as well as the Hyundai Elantra N, also N like Nancy. We get, coming, we get it, we get it. Um, is on the way soon, and those will probably use a little bit more of a conventional automatic uh, or dual clutch transmission, and will probably sound much more uh, sportier and aggressive. I want to continue with this Elantra because I think that it it. it one of the complaints that we had in this segment with another vehicle was the Mazda 3, which I think we'll be talking about later today. Spoiler alert. Wow. The, Are you going to leave the, me anything? The Mazda 3 uses – does not – sorry, no longer uses an independent rear suspension system, right? It uses a torsion beam rear suspension system. Um, this is not entirely um, new in this segment. The Elantra as well uses a torsion beam rear suspension, and I was anticipating that this would be um, – a low light for the for the compact car. And Hyundai has exhibited some difficulties with a torsion beam suspension. I, m- I remember the first generation um, Veloster as well as the last uh, generation um, Elantra GT, which is a hatchback, felt a little like the rear end can get a little wiggly when you go over uh, uneven pavement or broken pavement. You hit a speed bump and the rear end kind of like moves about on you a little bit too much. 
I was I was anticipating this with the new Elantra, and I was very happy to have found that not only does the new Elantra feel fine on those on those broken pavement situations or those rough roads, but it actually feels really good to drive in general. It's very smooth. Something that I was really not anticipating in a compact car. Like usually these can be a little uh, clunky. They can sound really clunky. And yes, the Elantra does have a little bit of uh, NVH issues. If if we'll get into that, um, but it rode very well, and I was very impressed in that regard. Any, any questions? Am I getting how I go? How am I doing here, Ben? I think I've learned more about the Elantra than I ever thought or wanted to learn. <laughs> uh, is, do you have any do you have any final thoughts on the car before you head on to your next Hyundai? Right. The pricing is very, um, very good. I think it starts at because I need to be honest. The compact car segment is not as it used to be, and these cars used to be very cheap. You used to be able to get them into them for around sixteen thousand dollars. I think is the best way. Um, is you know, I think fifteen or sixteen thousand dollars for a compact used to be pretty regular. Now they're offering the Elantra. The starting price for the SE model, which is the base model, is nineteen thousand dollars, and the fully loaded model, the limited model, is twenty five thousand dollars. So what you're seeing here is Hyundai reacting to the the reduced um, sales demographic or the sales numbers on these compact cars and i don't think that's fair i think just because fewer people bought compact cars in the past years does not mean that we should gut or we should get rid of like two significant factors of the of the vehicle these like more affordable trim levels don't you no, think but i think that they're just trying we don't know what the the mix of customers is like maybe they were selling more high-end models and i think that's i think that's possible that's very possible and uh they're they're scooping up uh buyers at a lower transaction price with suvs it's 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 hard to know without looking at their product mix and we'll never get that data <laughs> um that's true so the the real question is like for i don't know when i was growing up when i was learning how to drive compact cars like the civic like the elantra and like like the corolla uh, as well as the mazda 3 they were such an important part of our of my like like, what is the word I'm looking for? Coming to age with the automotive industry, right? Like, it, that's when you learn how to drive in these kinds of vehicles. I, I, I did feel, not. <laughs> I think a lot of people do. You're right. There are other vehicles that... I, I learned to drive in a 1993 Pontiac Transport minivan. That oh, was yeah, the vehicle I drove too. the most when I was learning to drive. <laughs> okay. So, well, minivans are gone, so nobody's learning how to... Well, not all the... Yeah, well, there are some so minivans. my experience invalidated... Yeah, validated by market trends. <laughs> and that's the same thing that's happening to my experience too. So I think that's uh, I think that's really interesting. I want to continue this though and talk about the other vehicle that I drove, which is a new version of the Hyundai Sonata. The new Sonata showed up um, about a year ago. Didn't, you, didn't really... you go to Korea and drive it there? Yes, I did. That was my first experience with the Sonata. But the Sonata has a pretty significant drawback and that's the fact that it has it it, it comes with two powertrains and both of them are a little sedate i think is the best way to describe them um the top's at 191 horsepower which is which is not impressive i assume that's a four-cylinder that is a you're saying that's the fastest most powerful sonata i can get until now now they have they are they are exhibit their their Sorry, now Hyundai wants to sell us an N-line version of the vehicle, um, something that goes um, a little bit like it. It's so crazy. They skip having just a 
fast version of the car or more powerful version of the car and go straight to having a performance oriented version of the car. So imagine there was no V6 Camry between the, the fully loaded um, four cylinder Camry and the TRD version of the V6 Camry. That's pretty much what, what Hyundai is doing. So what's the just, power difference? So I'm talking, we've got a car with 190 horsepower and I think, uh, sorry. Yeah. 190 horsepower and 311 pound feet of torque. It's a hundred hundred horsepower difference. Okay, and more torque. It's a lot of power. I'd be um, curious to know how many people actually buy a V6 Camry. I think people do, but there it's not. It's more than just the V6 Camry. There's also a more powerful version of the Legacy. There's a more powerful version of the um, Accord. Heck, that Accord Sport uses a, a turbocharged engine that's derived in, from the uh, the Civic Type R. Again, right? I, but I, I no, I, I get that, but I just Mazda don't know. Mazda has a turbocharged version of the car. What's the product mix? And are most people just buying? I mean, do you need more than two hundred horsepower in a Sonata? That's a good question. Um, I will. I don't know how to answer that. Did you feel like the previous Sonata was underpowered, or That's did it tough. just look underpowered in comparison to uh, automakers with different options? I think having the options is important. Even in another, again, sedans not selling as much as uh, crossovers, so it's interesting to see them uh, bring bring to market this kind of um, trim level. And in addition to this, I want to add this N line thing. This this trying to make your car seem like a performance oriented version of of a more mainstream model. I don't agree with it. I don't think this is what Hyundai should have been doing. And we've seen so many other automakers bring their motorsports division or something into their into a more mainstream model and then change their mind entirely we've seen it with there used to be an ultima nismo there used to be a mazda speed six yes, there but was that was 15 years ago well they don't they stopped they obviously don't care about it anymore those things are gone exactly because no one was buying them i actually just looked into the um also you know the the mazda speed six was a problematic vehicle yeah um, I, I just looked into the V6. Wasn't there a legacy spec B or something like that? Mm, for like one or two years. That was a very, very uh, short, too short a season. Uh, a friend of mine actually has one. Uh, Vaisan Obey, shout out to a uh, Quebec journalist uh, who just bought one this summer. Um, in any case, the the take rate for a V6 Camry is 10%. It's actually less than 10%. Okay. So I think that's probably... Yes, any V6 Camry. So I think that's do you know prob- what, Do you know what the mix would be in terms of... Do you think the mix would be similar in terms of Accord and um, Legacy and... I think it would be similar Ultima? for... I think it would be similar for Legacy because traditionally Legacy's had that that inline, that uh, flat six that was like terrible for fuel mileage. Yes. Yeah, um, I know now it's a turbo four. So I, I just don't know how many people in their minds have shifted over to that. And, and with the Accord being a turbo four too, maybe there's also... Um, more acceptance of that but i think that this kind of speaks to maybe where the pro- the comfort price is and how many people don't really feel the need for extra power in cars like this okay so beyond that there is like there is power now 290 horsepower is a lot it's uh it's only bested i think in this segment by the by the v6 camry um and it's paired to an eight speed dual clutch transmission it works pretty well um, I found it to be a little bit clumsier at, at low speeds, but um, it, it, this this combination worked okay. My problem with the vehicle – no, we'll get to that in a second. Give me a moment. Um, in addition to the power, 
uh, and and the upgrade transmission. There was also a lot of suspension changes, brake changes, um, to to ensure that the car and steering changes to ensure that the car felt fast. It, it could hang. It could have that N line um, name when the true N N vehicles are being introduced, like the Veloster N and whatever comes next. It's it's it's, it's funny that they say that because there's really only one. Yeah, so far there's only one. There's, there's not like be another there's, one. There's not like a heritage of N here, you know. Like we're it's still they're being established. Build, they're trying to build one, and I think it's it's very aggressive. I think that what they're doing with this N um, branding is much more aggressive than I would have ever imagined. I thought having one new N car a year would be good enough. I mean, it, it is just it's just Hyundai in the end of the day, right? But having an they want to have an N product in almost every single. Um, vehicle lineup that they have i know a kona n will be coming we have an elantra n coming we already have the veloster n um i think there will probably be a tucson n line um as well and uh it'll be interesting to see if things like the palisade or uh santa fe get a sort of n product as well i think it would be weird if there was a palisade n but i don't think that means it's not going to happen right so um it has all of these features it even comes with launch control. Um, it features two sport modes, a sport and sport plus mode. But um, I have to explain that I had a very poor experience with this vehicle based on grip. In Canada, the vehicle will be sold with um, Pirelli all-season tires, which sound great. But uh, on the warm day that we had them on, I really just wanted some nice, sticky summer tires. It would have also been great if this car came with all-wheel drive or something like that, because other vehicles in its class are getting all-wheel drive, and this does not have it. And as a result, I spun the tires a lot, like a lot. That's because you're a loose cannon, though. I mean, you got to factor that in. It was embarrassing. I mean, it was kind of goofy. It was fun. Uh, It reminded me of the Mazda Speed 3 back in the day, which was a car that had a ton of torque steer um, and spun its tires relentlessly in in early gears. Especially when Loose Cannon Hadjassad was driving it. (laughs) And I was not as impressed with with this uh, Sonata um, when they're they're trying to tell me, you know, launch control and, and stomp on the gas and, you know, take it through a corner. I just didn't feel like this was a sporty vehicle. High... High, more higher performance than the traditional Sonata, that's for sure, um, and a little bit better looking. I think the front end has a different front fascia, and the rear end has this nice black spoiler. I was a little bit more impressed with that end, but I just don't think trying to market this thing as a performance machine or performance oriented Sonata is uh, is the best bet when you've got these these poor tires. I also need to add in the U.S. it will come with summer tires, and I'm certain that's going to make a big difference in terms of grip. So um, I can't wait to drive it in the U.S. It will have to wait um, a little while before that can happen. Okay. And uh, I should probably you, also you add, say? yeah, that the pricing of this is um, is kind of high as well. I think it, it comes in. I've got to get the the right price here. Um, I don't want to mess it up because once we mess it up, there's no going back, man. There's no. There's, you can't go back in time on a podcast. Editing no. is not a thing. This is all done. You know, like all the special effects that we do too, that's all done on mic. Like we don't, uh, we don't have any computer generated special effects for the podcast. Sammy's really tight with the budget, so. So the pricing on this model is just about thirty four thousand dollars. It's a five thousand dollar increase over the Sonata SEL Plus, and um, I don't know five thousand dollars for a hundred extra horsepower. I think that might be a good to many people. That'll probably be. 
um, a decent ratio of performance to price to performance. I got to disagree. But, so, like, if you, if you – what kind of equip is does it match the SEL in terms of comfort yeah. gear? Yeah, yeah. It's a complete match? And it has, yeah, and it has all those uh, adaptive cruise control and all, all of the safety features as well. I don't, um, I don't see a family going in, looking at the Sonata and saying, I want to spend $5,000 more for the same thing. But this one is going to be slightly less comfortable to ride around in because of the suspension. And, and you'll be have, replacing tires and, and it's, more often. It's, yeah, it's going to use more <laughs> gas. It's like I, I think it's a very special buyer that's going to want this car. I'm not saying that buyer's not out there, but I, I, I just think I think we're going to see similar 90% of people not buying it, very much like the the Camry, where 90% of people are not buying the V6. Do 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 lineups? Like, do vehicle lineups need a Halo product, like a vehicle like the N-Line, to be like, ooh, look at how fancy this is. You don't, I don't really want I don't it. Think so. You're going to get the more mainstream model. I think that the word Halo is, you know, we, we use it to kind of, I think we use it a little bit too broadly. To me, like, a Halo car is like the LFA. Yeah. Um, or the, you know, the uh, the Ford GT. I mean, these are cars that for the brand, I'm sorry? Like, unobtainium. No, but they're cars that represent kind of the apex of engineering and style and performance and design and all that for the brand. And then if you want to bring it down to another level, you could say that something like maybe the Ford Raptor is a halo vehicle for the F-Series pickup. But if you were to get more granular and say that the Ford Explorer ST is the halo vehicle for the Explorer, that's where I don't think it works because I don't think think that people, in their mind's eye conception of what the ultimate Explorer could be, it's not something you take on the track. Like, well, so no, I'm I'm not trying to say that to other to the consumer we need to call it a halo, but within um, Hyundai or the or the product planning division, they need something that makes the vehicle seem a little bit more um, exciting and interesting, a, a reason for people to come into the dealership other than just I, I want I to get a Sonata. I don't think so. I don't okay. think that for every market segment that works. I, I I just think that it's it's unnecessary. If someone's coming in to buy a car they can afford, a car that's going to be comfortable and useful and efficient and they have a budget let's say they want to spend like 20,000 or 25,000 they they're honestly not going to care about like you know someone who buys an EcoBoost Mustang maybe they want to have the same look as the 5.0 maybe to them like that's that's a buying factor that's a that's a sports car that's exciting and they're getting a version of it that that fits into their lifestyle but i think if you're like coming in to buy a family sedan or even a small crossover and there's like across the showroom there's a version of the same crossover with 100 more horsepower i don't think that even registers <laughs> really like, yeah i don't think if i was buying then how come how come hot hatches work well because you know that's a good question. Maybe because it's a traditional segment that's been carved out over decades. Yeah. And uh, maybe because the price difference isn't that huge. Okay. And maybe because a smaller car like a hatch is a car that theoretically you could have fun with in a competitive setting. But you're not going to do that with a midsize family sedan. No, you're certainly not going to do that. If there was like a, a Honda HRV that had a hundred more horsepower, <laughs> what are you going to do with that? You know, like, <laughs> Yo, that's badass. I would take it. I would like 50 more horsepower in that car because I feel like it's too heavy for its engine, but I don't want a hundred more horsepower. <laughs> and if I went in and they're like for $5,000 more, there's a hundred more horsepower in this HRV. I would be like, I can't afford that, and I have no interest in it. Like this is well, okay, that's not fair because an HRV is a pretty uh, is like a is meant to be an affordable product. But so but is yeah. a Sonata. 
Not at the HRV's level, I it's, think. It is an affordable product, though. And it is yeah. a good affordable product. Yes, I agree so, with that. So, uh, I don't know. That, that's just how I feel about it. I think that's food for thought for another uh, another episode or another, or another story that we can work on uh, in like, the future. I just, I just, I've been writing a, a series of articles for uh, about um, uh, rad... Rad e Radwood era trucks and SUVs. It's for the for the listeners who don't know, what do you mean by Radwood? Can so Radwood Rad is like '80s and '90s uh, vehicles, and it's a series of I've, I've been putting together for Motor Trend. I don't know when it's going to be published, but the reason I bring this up is because so many of these vehicles that I was looking at special editions that came out, and in like that time period, they were all about adding extra stuff to, especially for compact trucks. So there would be like Sonoma GTs and Ranger GTs and the Splash and the all sorts of like there's a Chevrolet S10 SS and Ford F150 Night Edition, and it's it a lot of this was. Maybe a few thousand Sorry, dollars. Sorry, the night more. edition stuff was happening way back then too. N I T E, yeah, yeah. The blacked out trucks are are a universal constant. That's something that goes back to the like late sixties, <laughs> early seventies. But um, the 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 one takeaway I got from this is most of the time they sold like a thousand, <laughs> like <laughs> or or like fifteen hundred. I think I think some of the trucks like they maxed out out around four thousand of them. I think the um. I want to say the the convertible Dakota. They sold like thirty seven hundred versions of that, but that, that was cons- way more than they should have. Yeah, th- but that's like a real outlier. That was considerably more expensive, and it's super weird. But like for the most part, uh, they weren't adding a ton of performance, but they were adding what they could for that era, and people just weren't interested. People wanted to go in and buy a Ranger and go home and haul stuff with it. Like that's they didn't need like a crazy aero body kit. That that's a very specific customer. So this is a very long winded way of saying. I wouldn't pay five grand more for a hundred more horsepower in a Sonata. Right. Um, okay. That's what I was thinking about these two Hyundai's. But you, you got to drive two Mazdas, which I think is pretty interesting too. I know it was but like Christmas, Sammy. Bit, they're also a little bit more related than my two cars were, right? Yeah. Well, in a sense, they were. Uh, the the first one I want to start out with is a vehicle that I don't think is on sale yet, but is on sale soon or something like that. It's the uh, 2021 Mazda three Turbo. And this is a car we've waited for for quite a long time. It's essentially the same Mazda 3 hatchback that we, we've we come to know over the, like, the last two years, Sammy. I think that yep. vehicle's been out. Except now with more turbo. Uh, and by more turbo, I mean a turbo because we haven't had a turbocharged Mazda 3 since the Mazda Speed left us in, I think, 2010 or 2011, somewhere around there. Um, and a lot of people, I think wanted this car to be like that car they wanted it to be a raucous um high performance version of an affordable sport compact hatchback and that's not what this is okay Uh, this is a car that instead is pushing mazda into that luxury segment that they've been after for so long uh and it's a car that is more refined than the mazda speed 3 and yeah. it's targeting a completely different customer. And I think it's – I actually think it's a great move for the brand. And there's a lot of things about the vehicle that impressed me uh, in the couple of days I spent driving it. Okay. So a couple of things. I think we've talked about the Mazda 3 in the past and that the Mazda 3 spent a, a pretty serious um, chunk of time carving out a name for itself as being one of the more enjoyable and engaging um, compacts to drive. Then when this generation model 
came, that priority seemed to wane a little bit. They just didn't seem, it didn't seem like they cared all that much about making it that much more fun to drive than everything else. Instead, they started focusing on making it refined and a little bit more upscale. Now they've added this performance, uh, this, this higher performing model. And I think I like where you're going with this. It seems like they're building up to a specific um, class of vehicle where they want to be, they want to be like named in almost yeah. like by like like I, I don't want to say like Buick is an aspirational brand. No, no, but no. This like, is, they're not after Buick. I mean, this is a car that's clearly aimed at uh, I would say the lower rungs of the Mercedes Benz lineup and Audi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and BMW, the f- there's that BMW as well, the uh, two series Grand there Coupe, is. right? I haven't driven it yet. I'm actually picking it up Monday, so uh, that'll be that'll be my first experience with that. Uh, I know you've had a chance to to sample it, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that they're they're skipping over that kind of midterm luxury, which makes sense because why why go for the brass ring when you can go for the gold ring? Um, and I want to okay. Out, I, I mentioned <laughs> what. I mentioned, what is well, this brass gold ring thing? I've never heard this before. We'll, we'll talk about it after the podcast. Okay. But uh, I want to make, uh, clarify. I, I said hatchback earlier. That's the version I drove. You can get it as a sedan as well. Um, and okay. uh, the car, to me, um, if you were to compare the feel, the driving feel and interior of this car, very much compares against something like an A3 or uh, a, a very entry-level Mercedes Um it it's the pricing is also much more competitive. Uh, it's around thirty thousand dollars for to get into the turbo, and then if you want to load it up completely, I think it's only thirty five or like thirty four six hundred something like that. So this is a this is a car that if you want to get all the features, it's not going to break the bank. And how much horsepower does it make? It so that depends, and and this is kind of huh? annoying. What do you yeah. mean it depends? If you if you put in premium fuel. You get 250 horsepower and 310 pound-feet of torque. If you go with 87 octane fuel, you're dropping that down to 227 and 310 pound-feet. Okay. So, okay. Eh. So, if you treat your car right at the pump and you have the, the fuel available to you, um, 200 and what did you say? 250. 250 and 310 and uh, sorry, 320 pound-feet of torque. And it's so really this the, isn't the second coming of the Mazda Speed because the Mazda Speed's had more horsepower. Yeah, more horsepower, but I think it has. I think this car has equivalent torque to that vehicle, and that's that's what's important about it. Uh, the, the the in terms of the difference that you're feeling, um, this isn't meant to be a car that's spiky and a car that's going to overwhelm its tires with its horsepower, because that's not how you're going to attract a luxury customer. What what right. they've done with this car is really given it a broad torque band when you're already at, in motion, when you're on the highway. And you step on it, it really accelerates quite well from 60 to 90 miles an hour. It's it's very quick. Um, it feels very stable. It's got an all-wheel drive system as standard. Okay. And uh, it's not, again, Mazda talks about the all-wheel drive system as improving performance and handling and cornering and whatnot. I didn't really notice a big difference. I didn't get it on super twisty roads um, there's not a lot of places we can go these days <laughs> yeah. where I live right now. Uh, so I mostly, I, I did a tour as best I could to, to ring it out and I found it to be very stable, but I didn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily feel like the kind of car you want to throw around, which is something kind of you were alluding to earlier. So the, the question I had is that I've had, you and I have had these discussions about compact cars getting a little bit more upscale, a little bit more comfortable. I think the Volkswagen Golf R comes to mind. Am I mistaking myself? Or is it the GTI that you said you had a similar argument about? 
Uh, I think that this car is not as performance oriented as a Golf R. Okay. But it's not a bad comparison. I think that, you know, this is more like something you would put up against an A class and you would say, look at how much more you're getting for your money. Okay. How much Uh, more are we getting uh, compared to an A class? I think that the interior is as nice. Okay. And I think you're getting it at a discount. I mean, if, if, Mm -hmm. is the A class all wheel drive in its, in its base form? Not in its base form. You can get an all-wheel drive version. And I think it starts at like 32,000, right? Or something like that? Yeah, and I think there's a sub-200 horsepower version of this car. I need to make sure I have so, those. So if you're spending 32 grand on an A-Class and you're getting more power and all-wheel drive with the Mazda 3 Turbo for two grand less, just for a base, and then yeah. if you add an extra two grand and you have the best version of that car versus a middling to entry-level version of the Mercedes, I think that's the argument that Mazda's making. I like that argument. I think it's going to be very hard to make that argument as loud as it needs to be to get over the volume of the badge that's on that <laughs> Mercedes, uh, which is why they're able to charge that amount of money in North America for what is you know kind of an entry-level European compact car. Okay, sorry. I, I was mistaken. There's A-class sedans. Um, okay. I'm used to, I, I'm, I was speaking of on the uh, Canadian market. The A-class sedan starts at you're gonna love this it starts at $333,000 is a sedan is front wheel drive the all-wheel drive version of the car is an extra two thousand dollars okay so $35,000 and features a two-liter turbocharged four-cylinder engine um I'm trying to find the 188 horsepower yeah that is a bit of a dud Okay, so it is completely clobbered by this car. So, but but again, the prestige of that Mercedes badge means a lot, and I don't know if anyone is cross shopping Mercedes and uh, Mazda. I, I'm sure they're not, but Mazda wants them to, and they have a compelling reason for them to with this vehicle, and I think that's that's important. Again, an A3 starts at thirty three grand, and I think that this is an interesting alternative to an A3. If you're just shopping on price, uh, because we all know that you can load up that Audi with a lot of features and you're going to end up somewhere closer to $40,000. So, um, Can I talk I would, about that A3 for one quick moment? That A3 to me has never felt 100% worth it because it uses a similar platform to a Volkswagen Golf and the styling is never all that um, more impressive or, or classy. I think, I, it looks, I think it looks good. I think it's – but you're right. I mean – I, they used to offer a hatchback version of the A3, and for prestige reasons, I guess they don't in North America anymore. Uh, I think it looks good, but it, you know, you can't really compare it to the Golf because without the hatchback, it's two different customers. Right. Okay. So I think that helps them. I understand what you're saying, though. Um, the, the the other thing about the th- – I don't want to say that everything in three, three land is perfect. Off the line, it doesn't feel super quick. Okay. It's really a once you're in motion car that where where it's impressive. Uh, it sounds good. The mm-hmm. the uh, engine note and exhaust noise and all the electronic wizardry I guess that they're using to make that happen. It was pleasing. Um, I don't like the infotainment interface. Oh, and this th- new infotainment inf- interface that they have is. I agree with you. It's so funny. They like they made a pretty big hubbub about it that they've got a new layout, new look, and it feels slower and clunkier and l- more limiting to use. Yeah. So many other you can only use use do one thing at a time with it, and it's not touch touch operated anymore. No, and it, it's not terrible, but it's like you said, clunky is a very good word. I, I was talking to Sammy before the podcast about how I was streaming music over Bluetooth, so it it's it's a screen that's relatively far from you on the dashboard, and you use a, a rotary knob 
on the center console to control it. And there's a bunch of buttons on the steering wheel and buttons surrounding it. They're not the best uh, in in terms of figuring out what does what and not making... I kept accidentally changing sources on it all the time because the same button for flipping tracks is if you push it, it'll change sources. And it's very easy to do that when you're pushing up, for example. But the the big problem I had with it was weird stuff like listening to music over Bluetooth and I want to hit pause. If I want to hit pause or if I want to hit play on something that's already been paused, I have to go to another menu that puts the controls for the audio on the screen and then select that. So that's not great. Like that should just be on the screen all the time like it is on every single other system. And because there's not a ton of screen real estate, you, you, you find yourself with a lot of sub menus. And getting in and out of those while you're driving is not intuitive. I also have to add that the, um, like, typing in an address or something using this infotainment system is awful. It's like using a rotary dial phone. You have to, it's so silly. My Cadillac has that same feature, and it's from 2004, (laughs) where I had to turn a dial to select letters. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, other than that, impressed with the car. I think if they can figure out how to get this car in front of people and get people to give the brand a chance, they have a shot uh, at entry-level entry luxury. Is there money in entry-level luxury? I don't know. I mean, Mazda's not Mercedes. They can't, you know, they, they don't have the, the volume to churn out a bunch of other cars that pay for slow, low-margin cars at the, at the bottom end. So I, I don't know how profitable this car will be. Uh, that that would be very interesting to to find out, but I I think this is this and the CX nine I think are the two versions of the Mazda luxury kind of spectrum that make the most sense to me, where I can understand their argument for being included in the premium conversation. Okay, um, I have some more to talk about, but I think we will go into we'll go into the next into the next car you have right oh, sure uh the, the the next car that i have uh, is the Mazda CX30 and um what that really means is it was a Mazda 3 with uh all wheel drive again but uh on a little bit of a stilted platform it's they're not stilted that's not the proper use of that word on stilts <laughs> so it's it's somewhat raised yeah. it's uh it's kind of a crossover kind of an suv kind of a hatchback this version of the car it's 2021 as well but it had the two and a half liter um entry level engine i think they're getting a turbo version eventually in 2021 you can't build it on either the mazda usa or mazda canada sites yet so it's not out there okay. but uh very very different experience from the the three turbo it's got 186 horsepower and a six-speed automatic transmission. It's been that though that combo has been around a long time in the Mazda world. Uh, oh, I'm I'm sorry, Ben. I when you told me you had the Mazda, you had the so I think you told me you had the CX30 and the Mazda 3 Turbo, and I thought both of them were turbo, not no. not not just the Mazda 3. Okay, no, there so is no there is no having... C, there is no CX30 Turbo. I thought there is. There is one coming, but if okay. you if you go to like I went through the the press materials they gave me uh, here in Canada and uh, not not at all here yet. Okay, and, uh, you can't like I just said you can't build it well, on either site. This is a different vehicle um, in terms of the whole driving experience because you've got the more base engine, you've got that um, that six speed automatic. It's a little bit more a different speed altogether. So, do you find a major difference in the driving style? Huge um, difference. Yeah. Okay. Huge difference. Uh, it's that can't be just attributed to the power. 
Well, I mean, it, the interior also on mine, it, it, I think that it's not quite as nice inside the CX-30. Okay. Uh, the But the thing I noticed the most is the acceleration, it's it's fine in the from the 186 horsepower engine. It's not particularly smooth. Like, it, it doesn't... It doesn't have the same um, kind of butter that you'd find on the turbo engine, which which makes a lot of sense. Another thing I that was weird, I, you got to talk about the butter. <laughs> One of the things that's weird about the CX thirty is I don't know if it has a very small fuel tank, but I found myself filling it up a lot more often than I than I had planned. And I checked my fuel mileage, and it wasn't like it was using more gas than it should have. It's just the tank wasn't very big. And I don't know if that's just in my head, <laughs> but it was something that stuck out to me while I was driving it. What's interesting though is um, price-wise, it's this if a, a, a two and a half liter, sorry, the the naturally aspirated CX thirty mm-hmm. is almost the same starting price as the base Mazda three turbo. So the question so, is, in do terms you of want... all-wheel drive, in terms of all-wheel drive, like if you want yeah. a loaded CX thirty. It's twenty nine grand, twenty nine nine fifty, and if you want a base sedan uh, version of the the other car, it's it's like a thousand dollars more. So yeah, it, the question is, which one of these do you want? Right. Um, what are the so one is sedan, one is a one is sedan, one is a hatchback. Yeah, let me check and see regard. how how much different the the hatchback pricing is. And then you're looking. It's, at... it's only it's only it's thirty one eight forty five. I think that includes delivery. Mm-hmm. So like, it, very very similar. So um, yeah, it's it's like practicality wise, I did haul some stuff in the uh, CX thirty. I was actually putting my Jeep away in storage, and I had to haul a bunch of things with it um, to, to put away with it, and it, it was fine for that. Um, but there were things that I couldn't do. Like I had I have a snowblower that I keep stored elsewhere because it's giant it's actually an electric snowblower like battery powered it's kind of neat anyway whatever um it was too big i didn't feel comfortable putting it in the the cx30 i think i might have been able to stuff it in with the seats down but it's got so many jagged metal edges just from all the guards and stuff to keep you away from the blades i was sure i would have cut up the interior so i i seeing as it's exactly the same amount of space as the mazda 3 Unless you want to have this kind of faux SUV look, I don't see the advantage of buying a CX-30. I think it's entirely going to be your style preference. I found that the CX-30 drove a tiny bit better than the regular Mazda 3, but that might have been different roads, different tires, different road conditions. Yeah. So I, I should mention, too, the Mazda 3 Turbo I drove was on winters. Okay. So, um, again, I didn't get a lot of handling testing on it. But uh, that would have had an impact because it does come with summer tires normally. You mentioned fuel usage and fuel economy, which I think is really important because one of the things that bugs me the most about this latest generation of Mazdas is that they haven't really done much to the transmission. It's still a six-speed automatic, right, in all of these cars. And I find that to to be – I mean, if they can execute – they've executed it pretty well. So I I won't say that there's something wrong with the transmission. No, and and it – like, yeah. like, yeah, it's oh, – sorry, continue your thought. It just seems dated now. There's a lot of automakers with uh, 7, 8, some with 9 and 10 automatics or CVTs. And while we do know that having more gears in, in, um, or a CVT adds complexity and, and VH, 
I think they could probably stretch a little bit better fuel economy or maybe even more. You mentioned that the car, like the turbo, felt a little um, muted in its earlier gears. And having more two more gear ratios or something like that could really help improve the performance characteristics of the vehicle or even the fuel economy. Uh, at, the same, at, the same, at the same time, I got 28 miles per gallon overall with the CX-30. And that's, you know, I, I drove it. I'm, I'm trying to look at the, the exact mileage that I have here. But uh, I drove it a fair bit. I want to say probably 300 miles. And a lot of that was with uh, – a fair chunk of that was road trip. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not upset with that amount. You know, okay. like that's that's a decent return uh, for a vehicle in that class, I think. Okay. I just wanted to – I just wanted to, to discuss the transmission. I think it's about time that they – they've added new engines. The transmission has to come along too eventually. Um, do you think it's just a question of development costs for Mazda? Maybe, or you know, it might be if we don't fix it. If we don't, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. And we know another automaker, Toyota, makes a ton of money by not changing things that have been working for it, um, <laughs> like clocks, right? Like, uh, let's right. say you have, let's say you have <laughs> a million. Let's say <laughs> you designed a really great digital clock in 1983. Yeah, why change that now? I mean, digital technology is still digital technology. It's still. I still. I drove a new Toyota recently uh, today, actually, while doing a comparison, and there's that stupid clock in the middle of this pretty nice-looking interior, and you're just like, "Why? Who is like? And where will the clock go?" <laughs> you know what's you know what's going to be funny though is like one day when whoever inherits Toyota's design studio and their interior design. And they're like, okay, clock is done. No more clock. You know what's going to happen is one day after that period, we're going to pop open the glove compartment and the clock's going to be in there. They're going to be like, fooled you, Mr. Design or Mrs. Design. That clock is eternal. That that clock is is the vampire of the auto industry. It's never going to go away. I wonder if we're going to miss it like we miss manual transmissions. (laughs) No. I don't think so. I don't have an emotional bond to the clock, but it is comforting. It's getting there. Um, okay, one more thing we want to talk about. Ben, you had a very cool interview this week with somebody um, pretty important in, at Cadillac. What did they talk to you about? And who, First of all, who were they and what did so they talk to you about? I, I had the chance to speak to Brandon Vivian, who's the executive chief engineer at Cadillac. And he's uh, – it, it was for an article that I'm going to be um, – it's going to be up on Business Insider in I don't know when, maybe a month or so. But uh, it, I was talking to him about the future of Cadillac V, and he, he handles all of V. That's that's his wheelhouse. And uh, the, what I wanted to talk about on the podcast, though, is uh, something a little different than what I'm writing about. And that's the fact that we've complained a lot about how confusing the nomenclature is for V, haven't we, Sammy? Yeah. We so you have, have. we have CT5V. That is a V, but not a V. And then there's going to be CT5V and CT4V Blackwing. And then we already had a CT6V Blackwing in the past. And then we we also had V Sport uh, before that. So there was a whole bunch of stuff. And we, we looked at how that compares to um, AMG and how that compares to BMW M and, of course, uh, Audi. Yeah. And so and I asked And all these him, N line and N things that we're doing, that's going on with Hyundai. And, and I asked him straight up. What's the deal? Like, what? How? What do the names mean? How do I understand this as a customer? How do you explain it to a customer? And, and here's what he explained to me, and it makes sense uh, after hearing it 
from him. So the idea now is they realize that the nomenclature was confusing in the past. But for them, V is going to mean performance. So if you see V associated with a Cadillac, it will be the performance version of that vehicle. Anything that else that you see associated with it just means what gradation of performance you're getting. And uh, he liked he used an example mm. that clarified for me, Sammy. If you look at Mercedes AMG, they have AMG, which you know means performance, right? Yep. But they also have uh, E or C or or B or whatever. They have a letter and then a couple numbers that go with that. So you have the C43 is a perfect example. Right. That's not a full-on Mercedes AMG car, right? Right. But you know it's a performance car because you have AMG in it. And then you have Well, well hold on. I the, the in the Mercedes in the Mercedes lineup, the 63 engine is a hand-built engine while the 43 engine is not is not a hand-built engine. Yeah. As far as I but you know but all the other aspects of the car seem to be Similar, I think. This you, is you know that those. You know that both of those cars are, are performance cars. And yeah. then, then there's the Black Series. Oh yeah. So where uh, does that? Where does that fit in? Black Series. They they've been making. Well, they have been making them. So okay. where does that fit in? Right. That's that's an even more powerful version of the AMG. But it, it's not confusing in the same way. Like when I I hadn't thought of it that way. So for Cadillac, V means performance. Blackwing means a more powerful performance car. More performance. Even more performance. So and that's then- all. It, that's all it means. It doesn't necessarily refer to the engine, the Blackwing engine that came out, the twin-turbo V8 that they're not really using, that they only use that one time. Yeah. So for people like us who know about the Blackwing, who were familiar with it and see it in a different context, it seems weird. But for customers, all they're going to see is V means performance and Blackwing means more performance. And I can understand that. But they did that already with V and V Sport. They did, uh, and if you look back, V has what always was wrong meant, with that? V has always meant performance for Cadillac. Yeah, um, and then V going, Sport was like the almost there version of it. I don't want to go too deep into that because that really starts oh, to cut okay. into the feature I'm writing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. But uh, he he mentioned um, how if you you know compared to say BMW, where they have M, but they also require, you know, where does the M fall on the badge? Is it an M50i? Is it a BMW M5? Is it an M performance? That's a much more convoluted type of naming structure. And uh, I think that they're trying to avoid that by just keeping things simple with V. Okay. If they say so. I'm not completely sold yet, but there's nothing we can do about it. (laughs) What's the difference between AMG Black and CTS V? I don't think there are AMG Blacks anymore, so I think Cadillac is is benchmarking a nomenclature that hasn't been in existence for a while. But But you are right because the AMG GTR, or sorry, AMG GT lineup, which is, first of all, the AMG GT is the AMG specific product. It is, there are no non AMG versions of this car. But then they have the AMG GTR, GTC, GTS, GT Pro, and then, I don't know, something else. And there, is, there, there is a Black Series, by the way. Where? AMG GT Black Series. It's just okay. a, a record at the Nürburgring. So that's the, only, that's the one. And again, there is no non-AMG version of this car. So what <laughs> now, right? The, it, I hear you. I hear what they're saying. I'm not... I'm not like I said. I'm not told. I'm not sold on it. There's nothing I can really do about it, um, and I'll stop complaining as soon as I get used to it. I guess. If you want to complain along with Sammy <laughs> and uh, reach out to us, there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, you can email us 
Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com, the old-fashioned way. You can fill out a form on our website. Everyone loves forms. www.unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And that will get to us, too. Or you can go on social media. Uh, you can find Sammy on the cesspool that is Twitter. He's at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. You can find me on Instagram, where I am at Hunting Benjamin. Um, and then, furthermore, when you go to our website... You can um, click a bunch of buttons and you can subscribe to our podcast using your favorite uh, podcast client. Or you can actually go into your client, your app, um, search for us there, subscribe to us. Uh, you can probably even fill out a review. And uh, that's, that's appreciated. We, we need feedback, guys. We really do. Um, what else is there to talk about, Ben? Well, what are you going to be driving next week, Sammy? What am I going to be driving? Oh, the Genesis G80. That's what I'll be driving. That's exciting. Yes. I'm curious to hear about that. I will be driving the uh, Nissan Titan Pro 4X, which Excellent. is a, a full-size truck I don't think will As be we in know, existence Pro that much 4 longer. Is the is the performance brand of uh, <laughs> Nissan's Titan lineup, and the X is the degradation of just how far, right? The degradation? <laughs> oh, sorry. The definition <laughs> of just how much performance you're going to get there. Wow. You're making a mockery of branding, Sammy. <laughs> I love oh, it. They should have just called it the Cadillac Performance and then the More Performance. <laughs> Anyways, they shouldn't. Don't listen to me. I'm not a marketing genius. Yeah. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> Take care.